Good morning, everybody. Um, I hope that just today is an awesome day and that your words, your ears will be open to what you need to hear today. So today's scripture is Matthew 15, 1 through 9. And it says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, as any, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Morning. Hope everybody's doing well. Let's get ourselves set up here. Let me just pray before I start. Dear God, we give you thanks for your love. We give you thanks for your faithfulness. We give you thanks for the way your spirit has guided us through history, from creation to Abraham to Moses to the promised land to capture, to freedom, to capture, to freedom through Jesus, the disciples and the church fathers and mothers that have died for your cause. God, I want to give you thanks for their lives and how they have shaped the church that we experience and we are today, the spirituality that we experience today. And that we can also see that you are a living God who moves, who's not steady, who transforms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the, the last week we started a new sermon series called Roots. And... I was making the connection of the word root with the word radical, because the word radical comes from the word root. Uh, so therefore, radical is not the one who wanders around the bush or just goes beyond, but actually a radical person is the one who goes back to the beginning, to the source of tradition. And this is what we're trying to do through this sermon series. There are four pillars in um, Methodism and other denominations and Methodism we know it as Wesleyan quadrilateral. And these are the ways that we try to have an interpretation of God's will, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. And we talked last week about scripture, and we talked about scripture as the source of it being love. So today we're going to talk about the source of tradition. And I've been struggling with this sermon the whole week because there is a lot to cover. Uh, I decided to try to pretend to be smart and buy a book that kind of like took me through 
um, you know, the, the history of liturgy and tradition, and I, I usually use my iPad to read, and the trick thing about iPad is that you don't see that the book is like this. Um, and so usually that discouraged me. I'm not going to lie, I didn't finish it. <laughs> it was too big. But it was so much. But at the same time, when talking about tradition, it's really hard for me to talk about it without sharing a lot of stories about it, about how traditions are being formed or how even in our personal life shapes. For example, and I just, I'm not regretting that I don't have any picture of it. But, so I'm from Argentina. It's at the very south of the map. And something that we're known for is our meat and our grilling. We call it asado. And there are specific ways that we do it. So usually it's every Sunday after church or after or during the, the soccer game. So you get together with friends and family. And even when we were in Uruguay, my wife and I, we had that kind of tradition of having people over for asado. And we were, every time we, we start a fire, we had between 15 and 25 people in our house, at least once a week. You just get together with your friends. There are specific ways that you do it. You know, our grill is a little bit different to the grills that you have here. And we used to use, um, like, apple trees in Argentina, but big chunks, which means you start a fire, but you don't start cooking for at least two or three hours. And then you use that wood from that fire, you just move it under the meat. Or you just move the meat with the grill on top of that fire. When we moved to Uruguay, we could not find that kind of wood. But also the grill in Uruguay was different than the one that we had in Argentina. So I had to learn, and I started grilling in the way that Uruguayans do it. So when my Argentinian friends saw what I was doing, they started putting it on my Facebook, on my Instagram, you are a traitor. You are breaking our traditions. You're not, Argenti you're not Argentinian. You're done with us. That's not the way you make asado. That's a treason. Of course, in Uruguay, you know, they will tell you, like, they're better grillers in Argentina. But I still grill, like, Uruguayan style. So, thankfully, none of my friends from Argentina speak English, so they will not get this. Um, but when we moved to the U.S., um, the church in Uruguay, they gave us, as a gift, a small grill. Smaller grill. And in Uruguay, we didn't use apple wood. We used orange wood, which was way thinner. And the fire started easier, and just only takes an hour to, to be ready to start putting the meat there. But when we moved to the U.S., we did not find that kind of wood, or at least not cheap. So we started using lump. So this time, not only Uruguayans, but also Argentinians started criticizing that I was just butchering a long-time tradition of how to grill the meat. And for, for a while, I was a little bit embarrassed about posting it because I was kind of sick of those comments. But then I realized, at the end of the day, the meat tastes so good. So Uruguayan, Argentinian, or the way we do it in our house here in the U.S., the main goal, which was grilling the meat in a way um, that creates some sort of uh, fellowship around the grill, we made it happen. We took a tradition and we shaped it in a different way because we felt forced to it. 
So, but now moving towards my point today, let me ask you this question. How many methods does it take to change a light bulb? No answers? Nobody? How many methods does it take to change a light bulb? It takes five methods. One to change it, and four to say over and over again how beautiful the old bulb was. And that's, that's pretty much what happened with tradition. It doesn't matter uh, what you do or how forced you feel that you had to change it. You, you know, it will always feel that push that, well, the oil always was so much better. We liked it so much more. And like I say, there are many stories. We used to, in this church in Uruguay, the former pastor was 82 years old. And we arrived there being 30 years old. This pastor was a British, super formal guy. And then uh, we showed up, and I showed up with long hair, broken jeans, and the church almost flipped. And when we started uh, preaching, it was also different. The music that my wife and I play was different. And there was this guy in this church called Ramon. And he's one of the oldest members, or at least more spoken member of the church. And one, one of the, when he said, like, I have been in this church for like 50 years. And then I asked him, you must have seen many changes in that time. And his answer was this, yes, and I opposed them all. During 15 year, 50 years, Ramon, a faithful member of the church, was against every change that could happen at church. But it was one of our most faithful church members. And next week, when, when we talk about experience, I'm going to show you a picture. You can see this groupy old guy surrounded by a bunch of young uh, men and women with developmental disability. He was able to worship in a worship setting that was a chaos. But before we left, he was so happy that he saw a church at the beginning that was vibrant. He saw him almost die, and at the end, he saw that change might be good. Difficult, but good. And the problem with this kind of attitudes of, you know, feeling like this clash between the, the old way of doing things and innovation had existed for a long time. And in seminary, we used to talk about the seven last words of the church. What you will hear before the church dies is this. We never did it this way before talking about this is a way to kill the church. Not being able to shape, to adapt. And you will see, because you have done more adaptation in this past probably five months than you have done ever before regarding church, worship, communion, or anything. I'm not pushing tradition down. I'm just trying to help you understand that Many times changes are necessary. Many, many times the only way to survive is through changes. 
and some reasons that, that I thought about, for example, for, for a change of tradition is convenience. You know, we want, uh, for example, we want a contemporary space of worship, and it's sometimes it's kind of hard to do that in a traditional space. So it's more convenient for us to meet in the parish hall. You know? Uh, circumstances. COVID-19. Hello. The way we celebrated communion yesterday, it was uh, yesterday, last week, a lot of people, pastors, elders, bishops, have been arguing about the way of doing that for decades. For a lot of people, doing communion online was heresy. You should not even talk about it. But what happened last week, we, it, was, it was a circumstance. We could not do it any other way. We wanted to be able to be a church, even though we were separated, united by God. And we did it online too. It doesn't work anymore. Well, sometimes things don't work and just we keep moving. Or maybe it's just the wrong way of doing it. Just to give you a few examples of how things have changed through history. And this is just with the early church. The early church in the book of Acts started with the, the disciples, Jesus' disciples. Then a group of Hellenist, Greek-speaking people, joined the group, so they decided to add seven deacons. So the church leadership was the 12 disciples and seven deacons. Then the church grew, so they decided, well, we may, we're going to have to add elders, we're going to have to add bishops, we're going to have to add more deacons. They didn't gather, gather in temples, they gathered on a third floor of a house. Uh, when they were persecuted, they were hiding in catacombs. The Lord's, Lord's Supper, one of the biggest changes, communion. In the early church, it was done through a simple share of meal. They took upon a Greek tradition that says, a meal is not a meal unless you celebrate it with friends. So worshiping, communion, and, and you see it through, through all the book of Acts and Paul's letter, it was done with friends, with family. And, and in the breaking of the bread, remembering the word of God and, and the blessing of the cup, remembering how the blessing that, that is and the promise of God coming for us. And it's not the same way we do it here, right? Most churches, we celebrate communion on a Sunday and we just break the bread, but it's not a meal. We're not actually having a meal that, st uh, that style. Things change. Things shaped. Things adapted. Or even baptism. It used to be done in rivers, lakes. Most of the times now we do it indoors. A lot of things change. Traditions change whether we like them or no. Innovation comes. A lot of it, I would like to say 70% of the innovation that we bring to the church is terrible. We try, we try to be so cool and shiny that sometimes even we ruin things. But what we need to understand about tradition is that it's not a rule that is written on stone that can never change. Through the history of the church, the way that God has been worshipped or where God was supposed to be worshipped changed. The traditional King James Bible is not the only translation anymore. Now there are many translations of Scripture. Things change, times change, we change. So God, this is the thing. God is the same yesterday, 
today and forever. But we change. Therefore, the way we relate with God changes too. And that is what brings adaptation. And this is what's going on with Jesus and the disciples. The Pharisees were so stuck with tradition that at some point they even started using tradition to perpetuate their own selfish interests. Because the passage that we read today is not the only one where Jesus has been pushed about um, making the laws fast and loose for his disciples. This is what Matthew chapter 12 says. On Sabbath, Jesus was strolling with his disciples through a field of ripe grain. Hungry, the disciples were pulling off the heads of grain and munching on them. Some Pharisees reported them to Jesus. Your disciples are breaking the Sabbath rules. And Jesus said, really? Didn't you ever read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? How they entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar, bread that no one but priests were allowed to eat? And didn't you ever read in God's law that priests, um, that priests carrying out their temple duties break Sabbath rules all the time and it's not held against them? There is far more at stake than, here than religion. If you had any idea what Scripture meant, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. You wouldn't be nitpicking like this. The Son of Man is not lucky to the Sabbath. He is in charge. So they were just coming at Jesus because he was breaking a traditional rule, but also rules that the Pharisees, the people in charge, tried to perpetuate because it benefited them. So, there are a lot of things in scriptures that are front forward, that we know what, what's going on, but there are other things that we do not. But in the passage that we read today that Jesus said, doesn't, the, doesn't scripture say you need to honor, honor your father and mother, and yet you're kind of like changing this for your own benefit? And now the Bible is not clear about what's going on, but what, what tradition tells us, historians, is that the Pharisees changed the rule a little bit. So the, one of the Ten Commandments says, honor father and mother, which technically means take care of your parents in their old age. So but the way that the Pharisees changed that law was if you give to the temple what you, what, what you were supposed to give to your parents, you're good. Because you didn't give it to your parents, but you did give it to God. And that was a benefit of the people running the sanctuary. That's what Jesus was telling them. Like, you're, you're picking on me for this, but you're, what you're doing is even worse. Again, the root of tradition is simple. It's helping us to clarify God's will through the commandments. Tradition is a beautiful thing because it brought us to where we are today. Without people keeping a constant and repeating things and the way they used to do it, we wouldn't be here. 
through tradition, through the experience of those that have lived before us, is that we understand God's commandments. So when we do things over and over again, if we do it in our churches or in our personal life, because we even have traditional things in our own life that we do over and over again, and the, the way we need to be careful is that our traditions or our way of doing things doesn't necessarily make them true or the way to connect with God. Just to give you an example. You see this table. The people right here are going to see a part of the table. People right here are going to see another part of the table. People right there are going to see another part of the table. People over there, this part of the table. I'm going to see this part of the table. Each one of us has a direct view to the table, but not an entire view of the table. So, this is a very simple, common table. But if we have something different, each one of us will be describing something totally different, yet speaking about the same thing. What tradition teaches us is to be able to hear the voices of those that came before us and those that are living among us. Because they have experienced God and they learn about God in ways that we haven't done it. And in that way, we can grow in better communion and understand God better. And it's through that tradition that God's, it will help us to clarify God's will through the commandments. But the main question that you need to ask you is if there are times that we wear a mask of religio uh, religiosity or spirituality. How we use tradition to wear a mask that will benefit us. Sometimes we want to keep things the way they are because they, things have been good for us. Sometimes we try to keep traditions because it's the way that benefited us. Again, like I say, you, you cannot share about tradition without sharing about story. If you think about Martin Luther, this young monk who uh, one day he uh, was taught how to read scripture, and then suddenly new things came to his mind saying, well, we have been saying this for a long time, but actually the Bible says something different. Well, we've been worshiping this way, but according to the scripture, it should be this way. And the powers to be of that moment did not hear him out. And the Catholic Church split. And a powerful new movement started. For you Methodists here, this interesting Anglican priest who had new visions and, and new ideas of how to do, uh, how to create and, and enrich Christ's disciples. A new movement was created after him, and you're here now. John Wesley was not pretending to break a church. John Wesley was pretending for us to grow, to use what we have from the past, connected with what we know now, and walk towards the future. I don't have this phrase over there, but this is an idea of how a worship setting should be shaped. Christian prayer, like Jewish prayer, is fundamentally the prayer of God's people conscious of being God's people. 
And the liturgy is organized as the structured prayer of a community. So the way we worship should be a reflection of how we pray. So if you're a group of young people who does not have probably a lot of experience with a traditional setting, the way you worship and the way worship is structured is going to be different. Because it's a reflection of your own personal life. Tradition. Um, Winston churches say, without tradition, art is a flock of sheep without a shepherd. Without innovation, it is a corpse. No person for any considerable period, time, period can wear one face to himself and another one to a multitude without finally getting confused as to which might be true. And this is one of the things that probably being so structured and so attached to, to a tradition can do to us. We are so... We created walls so thick around us trying to keep things the way they are. And, and for just, for example, in our church life. But then we go out and our life is different. Or the way we want to think is different. And, and you're gonna, it's going to come to the point that you're going to be wearing one mask for church. You're going to wear another mask for outside. And you're going to wear another mask for your house. And at some point, you're not going to know who you are. And this is what staying structure in one spot does to us. So the question for us is, does what we do, does really grow from Scripture itself or is simply human tradition? What you do in your relationship with God is something that has grown from Scripture or is something that just comes from human tradition. Now, human tradition is not wrong. There is a lot of beauty, there is a lot of power, and there is a lot of learning from it. But sometimes that doesn't align with what God wants for us to deal with us. The root of tradition is simply to help us to clarify God's will through the commandments. The roots of scripture is love. The root of tradition is clarity. Think about the ways your spiritual life has changed since you can remember. Think the things, think about the things that you used to do as a, a member of a faith community that you don't do anymore. And think about the things that you used to do as a member of a faith community that now you do differently. You change, tradition adapts. The church moves, the church evolves, and we do it with it too. The root of tradition is to help us to clarify God's will. Tradition is not our God. There are different ways of seeing things, and that's what we learn from tradition. There are different ways of understanding God. That's what we learn from our friends. But it's one thing that is clear. Every time the church had to adapt 
to our circumstance. The Holy Spirit has guided them through it. The way we celebrated communion last Sunday, it wasn't just like this is the only way out. It was a prayerful consideration for the church that said, we want to celebrate communion, we need to celebrate communion, but we cannot ha can't have everybody just coming and breaking from the same bread. We need to do it in different tables, and we need people to be able to do it from home. The circumstances have makes us to seek God's will and prayer. I'm going to finish with this story from the Methodist Church of Uruguay. As you may know, a lot of Latin America was victim of dictatorships. Back in the 70s, it was everywhere. But the, 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 the country of Uruguay is the most atheist country in Latin America. It's, it's a self-proclaimed atheist country, the atheist country. And it's known by it. So when uh, the dictatorship happened, most of the Methodist pastors were imprisoned because they were speaking up, speaking out about the, um, the killings that the dictatorships were making. So these pastors were in prison, and then some Catholic priests, uh, priests were uh, uh, brought back to prison because the dictatorship didn't allow the church to meet on Sundays. But the church said, it is our tradition, and it's a scriptural mandate that we need to gather. So they gather, and, and they say, we are not going to violate any human law as long as that human law doesn't violate God's commandment for us. So every single pastor, priest, elder in Uruguay that had a worship service on Sunday was put in prison. And one day they, sh they shared this. They were so desperate for communion, they asked for water and for bread, and they, that was not given to them. So what did they do? They pretend that they have a cup of wine, and they pretend that they have bread. They celebrated communion, and they broke the pretended bread, the imaginary bread, and shared it with each other. And it was in that moment that I realized a tradition has been broken because a necessity happened, and because the church was trying to stay alive in different circumstances. And they were able to understand through a flexible heart how to break an inflexible ritual. They broke an imaginary bread and drank an imaginary wine to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And that changed the Methodist Church of Uruguay as it was known. Because once you realize that tradition is here to help you to understand God, but not to tell you what you have to do over and over again, and that the Holy Spirit moves in different ways all the time, you realize what God's will is for you in that moment. Let me pray. Thank you, God, for this time, and, and I pray that we can all meditate on who we are as a Methodist church, as a First United Methodist church, as a community of faith, that we can see the richness of our tradition, the beauties of our hymns, the, that we can hear your voice in the midst of confusion and distress, 
in a time where we need to adapt because not even school happened in the way that has been happening for a long time. Work is not happening the same way. Every tradition, every ritual in our lives has shifted. So help us, God, between our experience from the past and what's going on now in the present, to discern the way that you want us to act and live as your followers. Amen.